Hello, and thanks for joining us today on The Business of Being Awesome, the podcast for the practical daydreamers who believe in finding meaning in their work. On this podcast, we hear firsthand from distinguished guests who share their stories and lessons that inspire us on the journey to live our business dreams in line with our values. Usually we've got Lily, I'm Erica, and the two of us are here to be your real talking cheerleaders long for the ride with you on finding the courage to do what you love and love what you do with your work and your life. So hey there, Bazoba Ballers, and thanks so much for listening to this special episode today where we're going to go behind the scenes on the Bazoba action that has latched on to mine and Lily's lives for more than half a year now. But before we dive in and get meta in a podcast about the podcast, please subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app and share it with anyone and everyone you know who you think is awesome and would like it too. You can always follow us on social media at Bazoba Podcast, and if you're looking to get pumped up on some Bazoba good vibes, search hashtag Bazoba Power Songs on Spotify. You'll find all our power songs from our guests from season one and two. So today you're going to notice that our format is a little bit different. This is a special after all. Um, As a writer, I'm a big proponent of reflection, and it's something I noticed doesn't happen often enough in the business world, especially in the retail industry, where I'll be starting up in a little over a month after graduation. Um, The mentality is really short-term, quarter-to-quarter, and that's true for many startups, too, where it's hard to take a step back and get perspective, not just on the past and what you've already done, but on the future and what you envision happening next. And speaking personally, I got so wrapped up in the startup hustle of making this podcast with Lily, I almost didn't have enough credits to graduate from MIT. Literally would have been one credit short. Then one of my professors and our guest in season one, episode seven, Ben Shields, agreed to sign on to an independent study that would empower me to get out of business school and into the real world again. Because MIT is all about learning by doing, mens et manus, mind in hand, and because Ben has been a consistently supportive resource of all my creative pursuits, Um, This project deliverable is both a functional one and a creative one. Hence, this is a podcast about the podcast where the mic is being turned around on me and gives me the opportunity to reflect on my own journey, last semester working with Lily, and the road ahead. So without further ado, getting down to business of the business of being awesome. So the way that this is going to work is I'm going to answer the questions that we normally ask our guests and in typical fashion, introducing myself um, and saying my moment of awesome for the week. So I will introduce myself the way that I used to on my blog um, a few years ago, uh, which is MBA, entrepreneur, and writer. And as for my moment of awesome for the week, um, I think it's the realization that I now get to be a student of life instead of a student and employee of an academic institution. Um, Being part of like higher ed has been part of my identity for the last four years now. Now that I'm graduating from MIT, this podcast permitting, that means that everything can change and I can really reinvent myself in some key ways. And that's pretty awesome, even though it's kind of hard to say goodbye to MIT, the MBA program uh, with graduation this week. Yeah, as for the second question we usually ask, uh, the journey of how I got to where I am, I'm going to take it from the top since I realize I talk more on this podcast about my current story far more than my backstory. Um, I spent my entire life in New Jersey and stayed there for college, much to my own surprise. I could have sworn I was going to get out of the state once I turned 18. Um, But I studied comparative literature in college at Princeton because I wanted to learn a ton of foreign languages and eventually work in international business. 
that said, because the humanities don't make it especially easy for you to get hired, it was a real struggle for me to get work in college. And I'd argue that many of the challenges I had recruiting at college were among my inspirations for Bizoba, like way back. And people still ask me when I tell them what I studied in college, what literatures do you compare about my major? Um, but it definitely makes me more interesting at cocktail parties, and I wouldn't have changed a thing. I never would have studied Chinese, Arabic, and Portuguese and learned a ton about global literatures and cultures had I stuck with my initial major of electrical engineering. <laughs> And besides, I'm at MIT now and working as a product manager after graduation at a tech company, I'm getting my dose of engineering one way or another. Um, anyway, after college, I found a gig as a case writer at Harvard Business School, which was a hilarious stroke of luck. I'd gotten rejected from HBS's MBA program the fall of my senior year. And when I saw the job posting for research at HBS in December of 2011, I applied. And the hope was I'd eventually touch this business world I'd been dreaming of but for which no one was taking me seriously on account of my college degree in literature. The screening and interview process lasted a painful six months and pretty much the duration of this podcast. And I had a Skype interview, an in-person writing test, and then at least four faculty interviews for matching. Um, I paid my own way up to HBS from Princeton three times for interviews without any certainty of a job. And it was incredible when I finally heard that I'd gotten one of the positions and my professor, William Kirby, he needed a new research associate to write cases for his course doing business in China in the early 21st century and help writing his book in collaboration with Warren McFarlane, Regina Brami, um, two other then HBS faculty, uh, Regina's currently at Wharton, uh, their book, Can China Lead? Uh, Bill was great and still is. And over those two years, I learned a lot about business school and what the experience offers to people in them. But I didn't really have a sense of doing business much myself. My HBS job was academic in nature, and the last time I had a business job, it was working at an infomercial company in New Jersey the summer before I started college. Anyway, at HBS, I remember feeling bored and lonely and frustrated by the work in just a few months of starting it in July 2012. And one of my New Year's resolutions for 2013 was to find a second job where I'd learn new skills and feel fulfilled. Which happened um, because 2013 was when I did my first startup. I got diagnosed with celiac disease shortly after moving to Boston, uh, two months in, the end of August 2012. And this forced me to completely upend my diet and lifestyle habits to live gluten-freely, or because this is Boston, uh, ride the gluten-freedom trail. And this wasn't easy. People eat gluten-free for weight loss and other trend reasons, claim gluten intolerance. Some are actually gluten intolerant. I really don't know the landscape anymore the way that I used to, but I had to, and I still have to do it for my actual health. Um, I was in a co-op in college, and a lot of my identity and meaning came from cooking for myself and others, and relearning all of this from scratch was pretty heartbreaking and hard just from the chemistry of it. Gluten-free pasta gets gummy if you overboil it, and the bread rarely, if ever, tastes good. Um, I also didn't realize just how much people come together over food. People are always willing to make time to connect over coffee, dinner, drinks, and the like. And now every time I entered these types of interactions, I had to explain myself and my needs, which was so uncomfortable. And to some extent, it still is. And it, it would always get worse when I'd go out and learn that those needs wouldn't be met, especially when it came to dessert. Heaven forbid there was a good gluten-free chocolate chip cookie out there that wasn't full of added salt, sugar, fat, like 
stuff that should not be in there. If you look at the labels of a gluten-free Oreo and a normal Oreo, a normal Oreo will have ingredients that you can actually sound out and understand better than the gluten-free Oreo. It's kind of gross. Um, but yeah, on the subject of chocolate chip cookies, I love baking. I think the love came from the fact that my parents never let me cook, um, hated the cleanup. And I had a great Spanish teacher who baked for us in high school and whom I adored, Senora Cantor. And at some point I took a page out of her book and started baking for my coworkers. This was as much me trying to make friends and getting to know people better as it was for me challenging myself to make delicious sweets that were healthier than the store-bought ones and safe for me to actually eat. Um, I went on all these different food elimination diets because my health was still not totally on solid footing, and I read up on food allergies while refining recipes. And at the time, this was mostly for sharing cookies with coworkers, but eventually these recipes would be the gluten-free bread and butter of my food business, the allergy-friendly baking startup I had, uh, Zen Cookery. Um, so in August 2013, I started the business, did a crowdfunding campaign to bootstrap it, which we'll probably talk about in this podcast again with our interview of the one of the co-founders of Indiegogo. Um, I sold at retail stores and farmer's markets and hustled hard at it for about a year uh, before I started business school. I had a personal problem, really inconvenient dietary restrictions, but I knew it was a problem that I alone was dealing with. And building this business was a promise to do my best to help myself and help others, and something that Lily and I definitely talk about in our Thanks episode with Mickey Agarwal. Um, my personal mission then and now uh, became to build products that help people live happier, healthier, and more fulfilled lives. And things were going well with Zen Cookery and picking up momentum, but I did that business completely alone, no co-founder like I've got now. But I definitely learned from that experience that no one will love your startup baby as much as you do, and no one will understand your startup challenges or feel your startup pain the way you do. But that doesn't mean you can't get people to buy into your mission. Anyway, I tapered it off when starting at MIT Sloan, where I came expecting I would do more work in the food industry, found myself working in a product management role at Sephora instead. Again, as in college, I struggled with recruiting, convincing people of my skills and abilities to contribute. And again, as I did with HBS, I got this really lucky break on the right role at the right time that I didn't even know existed, just as I didn't realize that Bill needed someone about China who could do research. Um, Sephora, all the jobs I'd applied for uh, were in like brand management and strategy, and then this role came up in product, and they interviewed me for it. And as for the rest of the story for how I got to where I am, uh, many of you listening to this podcast know how it got started. There was an Uber in Los Angeles when Lily and I were talking about holding true to jobs we loved instead of settling for the first thing that came to campus. Um, and half a year and two seasons later, here we are. And it's been quite the ride. As for, I guess, the third question we usually ask our guests, uh, telling people about what I do now and why I love it. Um, well, I'm saying now, the podcast comes to mind, of course, but then there's the writing work I'm doing, which has come up in moments of awesome, but to which I haven't given terribly much airtime. Um, for the podcast and for anyone listening, Lily and I totally have self-produced this thing. And while we've gotten some help for marketing and strategy, we really made this thing all on our own with a microphone in a relatively quiet room. In terms of dividing labor, I script all the episodes, write the descriptions for SoundCloud and iTunes, which aren't that long, but they take a ton of work to be concise and compelling. Um, I do a fair bit of biz dev and partnerships and reaching out to new potential guests and organizations that might be interested in our work. And I'm definitely proudest of snagging Danae Ringelman from Indiegogo for season three. Um, my favorite part, though, is hearing the stories of the people that we interview, and they're always interesting. 
Um, some of these are in the upcoming season, but interviewing Jay Sassman of Autodesk and hearing her story of her sputtering Vespa climbing the hills of San Francisco. And then earlier in season two, Sinanarel living a pirate's life on a ship as a first mate. These are the things you don't hear busy professionals talk about on your average informational interview call when you're trying to learn about what people do and what their lives are like. And I think it really gets at the fact that this podcast is about understanding, sharing, and celebrating the whole person, not just their functional expertise or the job they do. Uh, We don't stop at the who, what, where, when. We try to really get into the why in their story. With regard to my writing and blogging, why, why I love that is it empowers me to control my thoughts and get some order around them. There's nothing that really scares me more or holds me more accountable than putting words on a page. It's true for academic writing as much as the personal stuff. I do my best work before I'm fully conscious and the fear can get to me, which is why 5 a.m. to noon are my power hours for writing, with all my power songs, of course. <laughs> and needless to say, though, they're not the most compatible with the business school schedule, where everything worth attending is pretty much between noon and 5 a.m. Um, but I'm coming up on four years of consistent blogging, much to my own surprise, and I love being able to share a slice of my life and offer a dose of thoughtfulness on things that happen to me, but I hope are relevant to many people. And people have told me that they like reading what I have to say and how it's sometimes been helpful for them in working through their own issues. I want to scale that helpfulness, and it's now just a matter of getting more people to read. Though my success metric is still, if it's more than my mother, uh, I count it as a success. Um, In terms of zooming in on a time when I had an inflection point or a big decision to make along the journey to being in the business of being awesome, well... To be honest, I feel like part of this is the decision of season three is an inflection point. Uh, Lily and I are going to be apart. Um, She'll be in New York City for the summer and possibly San Francisco uh, after that. But it's not Boston. And we're still trying to figure out what's working and what isn't for this podcast. And part of me has the temptation to quit it and focus on just being really, really good at my job after graduation and trying to use all of my creative resources and drive and getting my personal writing portfolio in shape and get some legitimate publishing beyond a blog post here or there on the internet. I'm also concerned about what we're going to do when we lose the promotional resources of MIT for our work, or maybe we won't, but um, being a current student versus an alum uh, poses that question. I do think it's an opportunity, though. Um, I know that Lily and I didn't want this necessarily to remain a Sloan-specific podcast, and with graduation, it really gets the chance to spread its wings. And now it's just a matter of finding the right partners in the real world. The other benefit of leaving school um, for an upcoming season is we can actually engage in the environment where we believe our target audience is, the young professional career switcher trying to find meaningful work. Um, And being in graduate school is enough of a bubble that perhaps we've had trouble reaching our audience because we weren't really among them. And that gives me reason for hope and motivation to give the next block of episodes and interviews an honest shot. And I think the difference here versus my experience with Zen Cookery and when I decided to shut it down is this. Um, And it's a piece of advice I heard that you end your startup not when you get frustrated about the lack of money or resources or time. You end it when you run out of ideas. So as hard as it's been balancing Bazoba on a full course load, a jam-packed final year in the MBA, and a personal life that's had its own ups and downs, even with all this, I still have ideas and dreams for the podcast, so I'm not giving up. And even if it doesn't continue beyond season three in podcast form, uh, the dream of helping others live their dream lives will remain for me. And I hope to do it through writing and speaking and working, and we'll see what happens. As for how I 
continue to do what I do and be awesome at it, or what keeps me sane, I would say the writing, um, when I can get over the self-criticism, the doubt, and the fear of it. I need to push through that on an everyday basis. It, it really depends on making time for it. I have a few reflective practices every day, and getting writing into the mix has been a recent endeavor for my mornings. But in the evenings, since a New Year's resolution I had in 2014, I take pictures on my phone during the day and keep them in a private Facebook album where I recap what I did during the day for a day when I want to look back and remind myself how far I've come and what I did on that day years from now. I also have a five-year journal a friend of mine bought me where I write a sentence or two on each day and there's space on it for, say, like June 1st for me to write a sentence for year 2016, 17, 18, 19, and 20. It's also a nice way to keep track of progress where my head, heart, and body were that day. The other things that keep me sane, uh, I'd say my mom, and I speak to her every day. Uh, my partner, who's been supportive of me so long as I commit to continue working on myself. Um, my biggest challenge is definitely remaining sane and coping with stress and letting go of the stress around things I can't control. And when I do have stress, I always admire people who can compartmentalize it so it doesn't affect too much of their personal or professional uh, relationships. I want to be fully present for others, whether they're friends or family or people I manage or otherwise work with. And if they have nothing to do with that stress, or even if they do, I got to have a better way of coping with it. It's threatened my personal relationships, even this one on the podcast, and I'm resolved to making this problem a thing of the past. Or as my mom likes to say, to put the Zen back in Zendel. As for what I hope to do next, or what I am doing next, um, I'm working here in Boston after graduation at Wayfair, the e-commerce home goods company. And it's really exciting for me. It's the job and product management at a retail company where the MBA is valued. And this is not always true in an industry where people often have to work their way up from the very bottom um, to the top. That would have been very hard for a career switcher like me to go from writing to working on a shop room floor at a Zara or an H&M or something like that. Um, So I'm really excited about Wayfair. My manager is going to be awesome and I have every reason so far to love my team. And I can't wait to learn everything from them, soak up the whole energy of this home goods haven, and dive right in. I'm totally dumb, I will say, when it comes to furniture and interior design. Um, And I'm really excited as a PM to help shoppers who have the same problem that I have. I know what I like and don't like, but how can I get to the products that are right for me on a site with thousands upon thousands of products? In terms of the writing, uh, most of my writing so far has been focused on my own life experiences. And many of my pieces the last two years have been about the MBA experience and what it means. So it's going to be interesting to see what I can write about next in a way that's relatable to a lot of people. Like the podcast going outside of MIT, getting my writing to people outside my own network um, is both a challenge and an opportunity. Business superpower. If we say so. I'm going to broaden it out aside from writing and say it's storytelling. It's the thing I care most about. And it wasn't something I could describe by name until I found myself taking charge of the yarn storytelling event at school. We talked about a little bit on this podcast and for people outside of Sloan listening, it's basically MIT's version of The Moth, true stories told by strangers in staged events in major cities around the country. And this, from the superpower perspective, it's getting people to share their stories, um, learning to share my own, and creating the right circumstances and platforms to empower people to share their stories. The Yarn is one, uh, my blog is one, and this podcast is one. And in the words of Margaret Atwood, one of my favorite authors, in the end, we all become stories. And we are the stories we tell ourselves and the stories we tell to others. And as far as a power song um, that might empower 
people to tell their stories and do the other creative work that I do. Um, I'm going to get nostalgic on this one. I really miss singing. And the song that got me into Sloan was also the song I auditioned to get into my acapella group in college. And that was your song. But the first solo I got after a year of being in the group and striking out audition after audition uh, was Don't Stop Believing by Journey. And it's a song that everyone sings drunk in bars at the end of the night, but it's got a special significance for me. I won't give up. I don't give up on people, on myself. So yeah, I guess this last part is advice for people listening. Um, What I've got to say is that heart plus action gets you a lot farther than you think or would expect. And when people ask me about business school and what my approach has been to get the most out of it, it's been finding the humanity in the heart beyond the data. I went after the teachers who cared the most about teaching their students, not the ones who were winning the prizes and doing the most hot topic research necessarily. I went after passion projects like the yarn and this podcast instead of trying to force myself through yet another semester of finance and economics. Though I might regret that later. I doubt it, but who knows. But like Mickey says, doing cool requires doing. I have a bias towards action and intuition towards my heart over my head. And my other advice is to keep surrounding yourself with dreamers and builders. I was once told you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time with and that your thoughts become things and to choose the good ones. Yeah, so that's it. Thanks for indulging me in an on-air reflection. And I hope you got to know my story a little bit better, especially since this isn't something I've gone into since season one. It's really cool to see how far this podcast has come and how it fits into my story and knowing Lily's too. And to recap the tidbits of wisdom I hope you'll take from my story, these are the Zolba bullets I would give you before you go. Number one, there's a chance that doing what you love might mean you stop loving it. That might mean you're not doing the thing you really love, just the thing you think you really love. But take the risk anyway. You'll know it's right or not based on whether you run out of ideas to make it work against all odds. Number two, don't stop believing. Hold on to that feeling. Even on the path of doing something you love, it's likely you'll meet with resistance from parents, friends, and yourself. And sometimes in the sneakiest ways. Push on through. It's worth it. Number three, for both the thoughts you think and the people you spend time with, choose the good ones. They'll define your life. And before you go, I would like to leave you with a quote of awesome, uh, something I hope you'll remember as you're off on your adventures and being awesome before we likely reconnect on season three. This quote comes from a traveling musician who I see sometimes in the Harvard Square Metro stop and the Boston Public Garden. And on his promotional postcard, he has the phrase, only those who attempt the absurd achieve the impossible. And it's something I believe to my soul. So before you go, if you haven't already, please search and subscribe to Business and Being Awesome on SoundCloud or iTunes. Get connected with us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Bizoba Podcast. This is a special, and we hope you felt special listening. And when you're missing your bi-monthly dose of Bizoba, you know how to find us to catch on up and listen. We'll be working on the newsletter and website in the coming months so that you can find all the Bizoba action in an organized, up-to-date hub. In the meantime, love to hear from you. Anything that can help us make season three awesome. So let us know who you think is out there busy being awesome. Go out and get busy being awesome yourselves. And let us know what you thought of the last season and where we should go next at bizobapodcast at gmail.com. Until next season... Thanks for helping me graduate, Bazoba Ballers. Get social with us at Bazoba Podcast. And remember, life's too short to be anything but awesome. Hashtag Bazoba.